Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The FT. Welcome to World Weekly with me, Gideon Rachman. This week sees the climax of the euros. I refer not to the endless wrangling over Europe's single currency but to the much more interesting and entertaining European football championships. This year, the tournament's been co-hosted by Poland and Ukraine, a decision that caused a certain amount of grumbling in Western Europe about everything from infrastructure to long-distance travel to alleged racism and about the authoritarian nature of the Ukrainian government. So how's it all going now we're more than midway through the tournament? Joining me to discuss this are Neil Buckley, our East Europe editor, Simon Cooper, our man in the press box, and Jan Chinsky, our Warsaw correspondent. Neil, from the point of view of Poland and Ukraine, obviously they must have bid for this tournament, hoping that it would do great things for them. How how do you think it's going? I think it's actually gone rather well, um, certainly from an an external perspective, from the outside looking in. And and we'll hear in a moment from people on the ground who can give us a perspective from the inside. But my sense is about a week or so before the beginning, there was a real wobble. We had this publicity about uh, racism, big in the the British press and some of the other European media, uh, a lot of focus on uh, Ukraine's uh, government. And I think there was a real concern uh, in both countries that that maybe this wasn't a very good idea, actually. Maybe they'd spent an awful lot of money and it was going to turn out to be something of an embarrassment. But actually... It's gone very well for them, I think. They've proven that they can host a very complex international event with all the logistics that that involves. They've shown they've they've done the preparation, they've got the infrastructure ready, they've got some great stadiums, and there's been some quite good publicity in the European media about uh, these countries being pleasant places to visit and the people being very welcoming. And I think overall it's been actually quite positive for the two countries. Yeah, and is that how it feels in Warsaw, or is there some sense of letdown at the fact that the Poles got perhaps unfair publicity about alleged racism, and also the fact the team went out in the first round? Uh, there were certainly uh, very hard feelings about the uh, racism and xenophobia stories that, that came out just before the tournament started. The Poles felt that this was fairly slanted and that you could do similar stories about almost every European country if you sort of narrowed down your, your search terms enough. When it comes to the team itself, people hoped that the team would do better than it usually does, but it ended up getting knocked out in the, in the first round, but didn't embarrass itself. And uh, it's been actually quite interesting to, to watch that normally what happens is when Poland gets knocked out in the, in the first round of a tournament, there's this big huff and people go home and that's it. Because Poland is hosting the tournament, you're still seeing uh, people with flags attached to their cars. Uh, if you look at the crowds in the stadiums, a lot of them are not Spaniards or Germans or Greeks, but, but Poles showing up to watch the matches with their Polish scarves. And so they're very much taking part in the tournament despite being knocked out and, and switching to trying to be decent hosts. And I think that that's actually playing out fairly well. On a larger note, there's an enormous appreciation for the speed with which infrastructure, particularly highways and airports, have been built for the tournament. And that's certainly going to be by far the most notable legacy of the tournament. And uh, when you talk to average polls, you know, people don't quite 
believe that, that there's actually a highway link now between Warsaw and the, and the German border, something that people had been moaning about for decades. So overall, the, the tournament is being seen very positively. Simon, you've been to, to many of these tournaments, World Cups, European Championships, as far afield as Japan and South Korea, Germany and so on. How does this one, this Poland-Ukraine tournament, compare? Is there anything particular that stands out? I mean, what struck me is that there's a standard way of producing these tournaments now. You saw it in South Africa, you saw it in Ukraine. UEFA and FIFA know exactly what's needed in terms of media centers, stadiums, roads, and they tell the host country, well, you just do it, and we'll also tell you how to do it. And so the stadiums end up looking like they could be anywhere. They're in Ukraine now, where they might as well have been in Venezuela. And so, yes, that's all been very smooth. In terms of a distinctive aspect of this tournament, I think they have sort of suffered from being, in European terms, far away from the main locus of where Europeans live and where people with money can travel from and the very negative publicity that particularly Ukraine got beforehand because there have been very few visiting fans and a lot of the fans arrive just before kickoff and leave just afterwards. I mean, it struck me, uh, my best friend from primary school from Holland came over for the Holland-Denmark game and he was with a bunch of sponsors and afterwards they went to a nightclub in Kharkiv for two hours and then they were shepherded back to the airport where there was a huge crush because all the Dutch planes were flying immediately after the final whistle, including the national team. So it's been an in-and-out tournament and you haven't had the street parties and the life around it that, for example, Gideon and I both remember from Germany 2006. That's been a shame. And the other thing is, I mean, it's the first European Championship I can think of that's been hosted in a, I don't know if it's physical Ukraine a dictatorship, but certainly a kleptocracy. And I think that has rather overshadowed some of the fun, much as I've hugely enjoyed meeting individual Ukrainians and visiting their cities. And yet I suspect that's something we're all going to have to get used to. I mean, I was just looking at the venues for future World Cups and, OK, we're going to have Brazil next. But then after that, it's Russia, it's Qatar. And so dictatorships, kleptocracies, whatever you want to call them, are going to be uh, holding tournaments and they're also going to be increasingly inaccessible to, to fans. I wouldn't imagine Russia will be a very easy country to get around. And Qatar's a tiny place, isn't it? So are FIFA and UEFA perhaps increasingly thinking of these things as television events and as uh, diplomatic events rather than as backdrops for actual fans who want to go and watch the games? Well, I mean, I think you're giving FIFA too much credit when you say that they're thinking about it in some kind of strategic terms as a TV event. I think that... The World Cups went to Russia and Qatar for various underhand reasons that don't really have much to do with the common good, and the common good won't be served by by those decisions. I mean, it's also that dictatorships and kleptocracies want to spend more of the national income on hosting these tournaments because they're just not that bothered about how the common person lives. So Ukraine is happy to uh, spend a lot of money on stadiums and roads to those stadiums, isn't particularly concerned about you know the use of all that stuff the day after the tournament ends, i.e. Monday, whereas if you're a democracy, you have to pay a little bit more attention to that. And yet, Jan, as you say, Poland, it seems to be been a pretty positive experience. I mean, this may seem a slightly vague question, but as a spectator and television seems to be being played out against the background of the other crisis, the Euro crisis, there was this peculiar moment when Angela Merkel was there watching Germany play Greece. Have people been aware of any kind of political Euro-style undercurrent? Or I guess in Poland, the, maybe the main event was Poland-Russia in a, in a political sense. 
The one that had uh, the most obvious Euro crisis ramifications was the Germany-Greece match, which Poland not being a member of the of the Eurozone is uh, a little bit to the side of that, and it hasn't really been a big issue. The match with the biggest historical or political resonance in Poland was the one with Russia. Local uh, football thugs uh, attacked uh, Russian fans on a march to the stadium in Warsaw, and then the, uh, the, the Russians uh, got back at the Poles just after that. But aside from that, it's, it's really been a fairly good-humored thing. I was in Wrocław, uh, where the, the Poles were playing the Czechs, and you had tens of thousands of Czechs, which was one of the places where it actually was easy for people to travel to the stadium because Wrocław was quite close to the Czech Republic. The city was filled with drunken painted Czechs and, and Poles, and the whole atmosphere seemed fairly chummy. There wasn't a, a lot of tension at all. And Neil, I mean, obviously Ukraine's prominence in the tournament and its experience slightly different because of the political questions surrounding it. It's been quite noticeable that German politicians have so far boycotted the games in Ukraine. The final will be there. Uh, Germany may well play, and I suspect, well, I, I don't know, but I suspect Angela Merkel won't go to the final if she's going to be consistent. How do the Ukrainians feel about that, and is there any kind of lasting impact of this sort of soft boycott at the Ukrainian end of the tournament? I think at the diplomatic level, then there will be quite a bit of resentment uh, from the Ukrainian government towards the EU over these boycotts. I think they feel that it was unfair. They feel that this was not the right thing for European governments to have done. So I think that will leave a, a nasty impression with them. On the other hand, it was something that Ukraine unfortunately brought upon itself. And uh, the Ukrainian politicians um, have to realise and understand that. But I think... I think we can in, in some way separate the political elements from the economic elements. Both Poland and Ukraine, I think, will get a very large economic boost, actually, from this event. Although they are further away from the European mainstream, more difficult to get to, I think that the fact that they had to build new motorways, new airports, new railways in order to host these events will have a, a lasting positive legacy for the economy. Simon is right to say that dictatorships don't mind spending a lot of money in, uh, on hosting these events, and perhaps they may have less regard to how things are used afterwards. But my impression is there weren't actually a lot of white elephants in either country, although some of the money uh, allegedly went astray in Ukraine, as happens in a lot of uh, post-Soviet uh, uh, countries. Nonetheless, the, the, the projects that were built were generally important motorways, new airport terminals, things that will benefit the economy of the country going forward. And I think, in a sense, you perhaps get a bigger uptick, a bigger lasting impact when you hold it in, in a less developed country than, than if you hold it in Germany or Switzerland or the UK. Finally, Simon, just talking about the the football itself. You're a, a Dutch supporter and you, I gather, had to go through the purgatory of watching them lose three times in a row. Supporting England or never that rewarding. But it does look as if the Germans, supreme in economics, may turn out to be supreme in football as well at the moment. Yeah, I'm about to write something about this for the FT, in fact. In the late 90s, Germany hit a low both economically and in football. I'm sure that was a coincidence. And they were dreadful at the World Cup 98, even worse at Euro 2000. And they said, OK, this is, the German model no longer works. We were the best in Europe for 40 years playing old physical way with hard work, but it doesn't work anymore. So they went and looked in France and Spain and Holland, even in Switzerland, and they developed a new passing, playing mode of football nurtured in their new youth academies. And it's brilliant. 
And in fact, they, they're much more Dutch than the Dutch now. At the same time that they went through a very uh, painful labor market reform with falling real wages, and they turned themselves into the upmarket workshop of the world again. So I think the one parallel one can draw between the political and the economic and the football change is that they were very willing to look abroad to find new models to in both sectors, football and the labor market, they valued education, and they've come out on top. So kudos to the Germans. I think the other thing to say is that Western Europe rules. I mean, this is the one area in which we're still the best in the world. Only Brazil, not even Argentina, can compete with the best Western European countries in football. Well, that's at least something to cling on to. So Simon Cooper, thank you very much indeed. Thanks also to Neil Buckley here in the studio and to Jan Chinsky in Warsaw. Uh, Everybody enjoy the rest of the tournament. Till next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.